everyone. Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Mose, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Steve, it's good to see you again. It is good to see you, Ben. You're excited that uh, things are looking up and up, and we may be getting back to the office sometime soon? Yeah, I'm actually really pumped to get back in the office. I am, I think I'm, you know, even, even though I've really warmed up to working from home, uh-huh. I, I am not somebody that likes working from home. I'm happy to finally uh, not just be able to get out of the house on a regular basis, but be forced to get out of the house. Like, like I mean, I, I like staycations, but I <laughs> at the same time, it's like I need somebody to tell me to leave the house to actually leave the house. Fortunately, sure. fortunately, I have a dog to do that on a regular <laughs> basis. But uh, the one thing I'm really looking forward to most you know, and I've got my hi-fi sound system back in the office, which uh, shockingly I didn't bring home. I never brought that home and I sure. didn't bring a lot of things home. But the one thing I'm really looking forward to getting back to the most, a proper office chair. Oh, sure. Sure. You didn't invest. I invested in a office I chair. I didn't invest on. in an office chair. I didn't um, take the time to go visit a chiropractor. <laughs> I probably will need my uh, my an x-ray done to see how many years I added to my spine <laughs> because I guarantee you this, this past 18 months or whatever it's been. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guarantee you, I'm like, if I went to a chiropractor, whoever, I don't know, man, whoever looks at your skeleton, they'd be like, Oh, you have like the question mark shaped spine of a 47 year old. I'm like, great. Yep. That's exactly what I wanted here. Thanks yep. COVID. I do remember uh, as soon as uh, we started working from home and they shut down schools, Amelia was working on my using my computer of course a kindergarten at that time learning how to use a computer and i was on the couch next to me working so that was the worst setup i've ever had in my life where i'm hunched over for seven hours a day trying to do stuff and then amelia is just doing stuff on my computer next to your kid god what what a punishment (laughs) (laughs) yeah i am uh fast there's two two uh things i'm conflicted about one is i've got a killer setup for conference calls so I've got a really good personal camera that I've been using. I've got a, a soundboard that we're using for that I'm using for recording the podcast. I know once I go back to the office, I'm still gonna have tons and tons of conference calls, and yeah, it's gonna be a janky setup that I got to figure out. I got to rebuild somehow once I get back to the office, and and the other side is, uh, I luckily I don't have too much I need to take to the office, but there's a ton of stuff I left in the office that I should have taken home. Like I, mm. I, I took a bunch of textbooks that I wanted to keep in the office short term, but I didn't get a chance to bring those back. So there's a ton of stuff that I want to bring back home from there too. So right, I'm kind of looking forward. The other thing I would like to use is a whiteboard. I miss using whiteboards. Oh <laughs> wow, yeah. But then again, you know, go ahead. Our, our our neighbor across the hall from us in in our apartment building, um, actually at one point during the pandemic, there was these big boxes it looked like they'd ordered like like boxes of sh- uh sheetrock or a drywall and i looked closely at like the label um and it's like this person ordered a bunch of whiteboard they missed it that much <laughs> yeah. so you're not alone no no and uh, just good for you for not buying it because no. now that everybody's going back it's like what are you going to do with all this whiteboard <laughs> in your house this giant whiteboard i do like the digital tools that came up to support uh like whiteboard replacement so like miro is a fairly collaborative tool where everyone can write on the same digital whiteboard at the same time. It's oh, wow. not quite the same, but it's, it's a good re- replacement. And I, and the only drawback with the whiteboard is trying to get it to a digital format. 
So, you know, now that now that I'm talking about it, when I go back in the office, I may contradict myself. I was like, why don't we use Miro more often instead of the stupid whiteboard? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that, that, that could change. And then we would have wasted all of that wall space on whiteboard at the <laughs> office that i think that would kill tim and doug a thousand <laughs> they, they square feet like of that whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be saving money on dry erase markers though that's that's a struggle we, we can't yeah. keep track of our dry, dry erase markers what are some other i noticed you, like like when we were talking about this earlier your the, the key takeaways from your like pros and cons of going back to the office would were um well your your con was you know you you're so used to uh, your scheduling because and so much time was freed up to do actual work because you didn't have to do a commute. Yep. And now you're going to have to go back to, you're having to cut the hours that you work in a day because you're going to have to compensate for a commute. However, I want to con, I want to counter <laughs> your point by saying that won't it be nice though, having so many less distractions? Well, so I was, chatting with Kristen she went to the office the other day and we had a call scheduled and she was late because people kept walking up to her desk or walking up to her and having conversations I'm like ooh, yeah that that is a problem with the open office we have though people won't schedule meetings just walk up to your desk and ask questions we're like yeah you're not scheduling a meeting but you're still occupying someone's time as opposed to I don't know send an email or do something passively so I conceptually agree with you Steve that there might be uh, more focused time but the open office yeah. is still fairly killer to me. Yeah, still pretty a lot of distractions. I don't know. I guess it's just the environment. Seeing other people work makes makes me want to uh, you know focus and yeah. actually get stuff done. And and that's the dilemma I face. So as a as a manager, most of my days should be meetings. I'm trying to figure out strategy. I'm trying to you know work uh, work on collaborative things. But at at your level, you know, if you're sitting there writing the tech report, there's no reason to have the the meeting the volume of meetings that I have. You're doing more yeah. focus work. So yeah. that's the concern I have is when we get back to the office, everyone's like, yeah, listen, listen to me. This is a brand new world. Can, can we just get some work yeah. done? <laughs> or people just swinging by yeah. your desk. Yeah. Uh, more chances of a lot of people swinging by your desk when you're in hyper-focus. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one thing. I, you know what? You got a good point. I'm totally wrong about distractions because I've been actually able to, at home with, I've, I've been able to do essentially you know, zero in on hyper focus right. uh, whenever I want, essentially. Yeah, and I've been. No, reading... I still choose to do it at two a.m. <laughs> I have been reading about uh, the concept of deep focus and you know uh, rhythmic working and things yeah. like that. Those are real things. Uh, yeah. There are widgets and tools to help you with that. Sure, um, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna have to look into Miro though. I hadn't heard yeah. about that, but let's get in some articles. Yeah, great, man. Let's talk about three D printing techniques to keep brittle tungsten crack free. Ooh. So tungsten, it's. Uh, the value of tungsten, it, it, it handles high temperature. You know, it's it got is a, dense. It's dense. It it's is heavy. Very strong. It's very strong. Um, <laughs> jinx. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I do know this. Um, tungsten is an incredibly brittle material. Right. And I say brittle not because it's weak. It's not weak. But it's brittle in that it fractures and, and breaks and cracks before it bends. Right. I do know right. that. And I also know that that's why a common version of tungsten that you'll come across, like if you're shopping for tungsten for whatever reason, a lot of the time, the most common tungsten you'll find is tungsten carbide. Right. Because, you know, a lot of cutting tools are made out of carbide. Uh, I'm not sure which types of car, which type of carbide, because all of the manufacturers have a different recipe. 
but uh, carbide is really dense, strong, yeah. and hard. Um, but funny enough, uh, adding the carbide to tungsten mm-hmm. or having carbides of tungsten actually helps it make it a little bit more malleable, yeah. which which is crazy to me because every other material you add carbide to to make it stronger and tougher. <laughs> Tungsten exactly? is the one metal that's like, you know, come at me and you add carbide to it to make it a little bit more malleable. It's that's like, nuts. It's like the crypto- but I'm sorry, I got distracted again. It's like the kryptonite Superman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's the highest melting point of all the all the metals, uh, according to this article. It melts yes, at 3,400 degrees Celsius, which is really, really high. Let um, me distract you again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, the other name that, well, I think the scientific name for tungsten, I think it's a uh, atomic symbol is W for yeah. Wolfram, which is German for wolf froth, which sounds really weird. And it is really weird. I'm not sure where they got the wolf from, I guess, because they think uh, the Germans think wolves are like strong or something like that. Sure. But the froth, like the foaming of the mouth is because, um, um, I guess it's to make it sound like a rabid wolf. Like I guess they they foam wolf. from the mouth. Sure. But but when you are uh, cracking ore to separate the metals out from ore, um, the t- all of the other materials will foam oh, right. around the tungsten, and yep. the tungsten will be left over. So that's how it got its name. That's fascinating. That's a good tangent. I appreciate that. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep going. Mining <laughs> mining materials is fairly fascinating. How they actually extract it. So yeah, the it's really interesting where this is fairly relevant, fairly cutting edge, but the techniques that they use are so old, it's mind boggling to me. So the idea is they want to be able to 3D print tungsten carbide, you know, be able to um, have a solid liquid, solid transformation phase, right? So they have this powder, they're going to melt it and then allow it to cool um, to get to another solid. It's, It's very similar to welding or casting, right? But of course now they want to create shapes in this pattern. Uh, so what they've done, they use electron beam welding machine to preheat the tungsten before melting it. So the idea of cracking this material because of, say, welding or a heating process can be alleviated by uh, preheating the material. So the spike or the transition from basically room temperature to melting is significantly less steep. And I think that's one of the uh, underlying things that they've taken away here is that when they allow e-beam weld to preheat it, before it, um, and they maintain that temperature before they get into the melting phase, um, and they're able to, you know, do this repeatedly. So, uh, one EB welding, EB, three D printing using electron beam welding, electron beam has been around for a fairly long time. It's one of the earlier techniques I think they adopted, but also the idea of preheating objects through um, electron beams has been around for a long time. The fact that they finally applied it to uh, tungsten and get some very positive results was fairly fascinating. So I'm a very happy physics world, uh, pro- pro- uh, help publish this info on, uh, uh, on this, uh, new technique. Heck yeah, dude. I love tungsten. Let's talk about some, uh, Tesla, Steve, you got some Elon Musk, uh, news on Tesla. Oh yeah. Um, of course I changed everything on my, uh, my computer screen because I got fascinated by tungsten. I was just looking up things and another last final tangent tongue. The name, the word tungsten um, is actually Swedish and means heavy stone, heavy stone. That's <laughs> They're awesome. not wrong. No, no. So- okay. So the Tesla article that I had, I found on entrepreneur.com Tesla aspires to become a robotics firm in artificial intelligence. And I found this really interesting. It was published this morning at 7 a.m. And this is a big deal because 
Good old Elon has finally recognized the emerging threat coming from the Apple and Hyundai partnership. <laughs> sure. Um, because we we know that Apple is trying to make an electric car and they've partnered with Hyundai to do that. Right. And if you, from an industrial standpoint, not a consumer automobile standpoint, but from a, an industrial standpoint, we know, and we've talked about it a whole lot, Hyundai is becoming an automation powerhouse yep. and they have gone full in-house on their robotics production and the robots they use. Right. So Tesla sees that and they are trying to maybe not raise them, but they're trying <laughs> to call them. Sure. And uh, it's, it's good because it means that, you know, our beloved American electric car company uh, that's run by a really cool dude um, is trying to do more than that and more than space, more than electric cars and more than SpaceX. Now he's actually looking at making some really awesome uh, advanced manufacturing technology. Yeah, that is fascinating. He's able to, you know, a couple of years ago, they're talking about all the struggles that Tesla had in terms of just manufacturing, you know, being oh, yeah. able to ramp up a production and get automate everything and then you realize you can't automate everything so he's got to scale things back and all the issues oh yeah making production demands and and I'm you know what i i i apologize because i apologize to to musk uh because i said that uh you know he's finally recognizing hyundai the threat from hyundai and apple mm -hmm. and trying to match them he's trying to call them but in truth i think hyundai actually is trying to match tesla first because i remember hearing it wasn't last year it was maybe 2018 2017 this was a while ago right that in their production line at least for the model three um their robot supplier was was slacking on them yeah. wasn't delivering them robots on time and the robots they were delivering were not good enough right. so musk is like you know what I'm going to buy a robots company and I'm going to make my own robots. I'm not, I'm not outsourcing robots anymore. Yep. I'm not buying robots from people anymore. Now we're making them. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I actually backpedal a little bit. Let me correct myself. <laughs> Musk started, Tesla started making robots before um, Hyundai. Actually, that's probably inaccurate too. But that's inaccurate too. But that's I, I think, I think, I think Hyundai's <laughs> trying to follow uh, Tesla's model, but on a larger scale. Maybe that's more accurate. The big takeaway I see is, uh, you know, the ability to transfer the technology that they have from their automobiles to robotics to other instances. So, like, you know, we've been talking about in the past, we've mentioned how much NVIDIA, like the graphics card manufacturer, or, yeah. um, you know, computer hardware manufacturer is now getting into the industrial space a couple of years ago. And oh, yeah. The ability to take this uh, tool and now make it cross-cutting where basically anywhere you're doing math can be accelerated by this. And what they're doing is anywhere that requires artificial intelligence, they could solve that problem. So getting mm -hmm. into uh, manufacturing seems like a slam dunk. They could easily get into medical where they're doing um, you know, uh, stuff with imaging, right? Anywhere where they're yeah. applying machine learning techniques. Um, you know, so I find it very fascinating that they can they potentially have this uh, underlying knowledge set that they can start transferring into other sectors. I'm not a Musk fan. I think he's a little too too much hype man for me, but he seems like he's yeah. doing right. <laughs> I don't know. We just need somebody cool. He's, I like him more than Bezos and uh, 
maybe not uh, uh what's, what's the other guy's name what's microsoft oh, bill gates. gates he divorced yeah he divorced recently bill gates <laughs> you know I mean, he's not i don't have a problem with bill gates but uh clearly somebody else did but, uh, <laughs> uh you know I, I just at least musk is cool you know he owned a mclaren f1 sure sure i don't think i like any billionaire <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the next article I've got, Steve, is about 3D printing with robots. Uh, large-scale robotic-mounted 3D printer aims to expand AM size limits from Composites World. Did you find this article on your Google feed? Uh, I think I did. I think I did. I found it on mine, too. I saw that this morning. I was scrolling. <laughs> I like our Google feeds are the same. Uh, so what they're doing is, is fairly uh, awesome. So the idea of... Um, like additive and 3D printing and the bias of that equipment towards like small scale, say like less than a foot cubic area. Um, yeah. It's been around for a long time, right? There's size limitations for um, 3D printing. And it's same for, you know, subtractive manufacturing, right? You have a box, I can machine in a box. When you get to like naval scale or billing scale stuff, then you get into gantries and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that you need for a subtractive is some level of robustness to counteract the cutting forces. When you get to 3D printing, the, there's not much in terms of forces that you need to react. Now you're looking at positional accuracy and being able to uh, push a certain amount of material to a specific surface. So like plastics or we've talked about concrete printing in the past. Um, you know, We've talked to Oak Ridge on some of their additive stuff on metallic printing. Um, and using, yes. using gravity as a support feature as opposed to building supports. Um, so this article talks about um, what they're doing on adding a robot to basically a slider so they can print basically the length of whatever they want, of how long they, that they want this uh, robotic arm to print. Uh, so it gets into the different type of materials that they're experimenting with, the software behind uh, achieving the solution, um, and the, the kind of the use cases they, they get around, uh, talk about um, uh, printing parts up to four meters wide. And you could do up to like 10 meters long with a trolley. So, you know, 30 some me- 30 feet long object can now be printed in a single pass, basically, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, 100 different pieces. So, yeah. And then Oak Ridge, and not only Oak Ridge, but like, um, I think it was, um, uh, I think University of Kansas or one of the universities in Kansas were doing multi-arm uh positioning so they could have a cell with like six robotic arms so can all six coordinate with each other uh, to help print this object most likely so uh you know don't rely on one uh, robotic arm now you're coordinating coordinating with several to help you achieve so the the ability to scale to something that you want infinitely long well not infinitely long basically is how many robots can you chain together to make this object and kind of interconnect it to so it's a fairly cool article and i like the idea of you know breaking the the um the size issue with um uh, additive or 3d printing. absolutely you know it's funny as you were talking about that article i was uh swiping through my google feed again to see uh if i could find that so i could follow you and i actually came ended up stumbling across the uh the tungsten article you mentioned <laughs> earlier so how awesome. convenient that's great uh steve what's your next article on the next article that i found on tech trends not google this time 
um, but uh, is additive optimized electronics. And it's basically an article that highlights four use cases or four ways that additive manufacturing will optimize electronics in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one, the first uh, uh, method that uh, the article highlights is uh, locally grown space antennas. Oh, cool. So antennas are, as you can imagine, is a, a, diff- a large and kind of awkward um, uh, piece of electronics equipment mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily complex, but it's it's awkwardly shaped if you want an effective one. And instead of investing millions and billions of dollars to uh, uh, get one an escape velocity to leave earth and throw one in space, right. why don't you make it in space? And that's one way additive is, you know, being used uh, in the future is going to be to make uh, space antennas. The second way is embedded sensors in everyday products That's for cool. convenience. Yep. And uh, what they meant by that was uh, integrated wearables. So like, you know, when you think, when you and I think wearables, and I think when most people think wearables that, you know, you think um, like the Apple watch or the Google glass for the few nerds that bought those. <laughs> um, but uh, what they're saying would, is in the future um, additive is going to be used to integrate those wearables into normal looking clothes. Right. So what, like what they mentioned was uh, like, you could have electronics printed in your jacket sleeve. So if you wanted to, sw- uh, you know, go to the next track in your earbuds uh, the, of the music that's playing in your earbuds, you could like swipe on your sleeve right. or do some gesture uh, on something that you're wearing and it wouldn't necessarily be an awkward, like raspberry pie strapped to your wrist or something <laughs> like that. Um, the third way is of course, military and defense. Sure. They're going to optimize uh, additive printed electronics, specifically additive made additive produced electronics in some way or another. Let's, we don't need to get into it. Use your imagination. Steve, They're going to do a million. There's a million ways to do that. Let's, let's place a bet on the next uh, integrated electronic Australia comes out with. That's 3D printed. Oh, God. <laughs> and they're military. <laughs> and then they take over oh, the world. Oh, man. I wonder. <laughs> Please be nice, Australia. <laughs> you guys are scaring me. Uh, and the fourth and final way that they method they highlighted was accelerated prototyping. Even faster mm. than Additive has already been able to accelerate prototyping. But imagine printing a prototype, which is, you know, obviously we know Additive is faster for making a single one-off prototype or bespoke part than, um, you know, doing CAD cam for a CNC machine and getting all the tooling right and doing your air cuts and then doing some mock-up passes with like Delrin or something or or cutting wax to make sure that your operation looks good and then finally making a prototype part. We all know the additive is much faster at making that. Right. But how much faster would additive prototyping be if your prototype also had the electronics already embedded in it. Sure. You don't have to sell anything. The, that's yeah. the fourth way. That that's awesome. Mentioned. So it was just a cool manufacturing.net article. It was fun. That's good. That's a fun article. I do like the, uh, the idea of integrated electronics. Of course, it raises a whole bunch of new problems. Like now I've got to throw this thing away as opposed to trying to replace a battery. But that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, you know, you can, I'm sure batteries won't be a problem, but like, Imagine, imagine the first. Uh, it's okay, I can say this. I am Italian, but uh, just like 
the the first Italian 3D printed thing that has electronics embedded oh, in it. It's gonna be broken. The wiring's gonna be shot. <laughs> you, know, you look at it the wrong way. Yeah. Like, oh, you gotta fix the wiring plume. Uh, good luck. Yeah, that's that means printing it. a new one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's fun times ahead though. I am I am interested in I've been keeping track of wearable technology and then to be honest, I haven't fully latched onto it because I I had a similar problem when I first got into uh, smartphones like way back in the day where I used it for a little bit and I realized there's three things I use it for and I could easily use the computer I sit in front of for eight hours a day for the same solution. Now, mm-hmm. it, times have progressed significantly from that use case where you, you could do significantly more, but like if I have a smart watch or a digital watch or yeah, a smart watch, I mean, it might be benefiting more than my, you know, analog watch that I have in a smartphone. So yeah, I, I am curious to see what, obviously the first couple of iterations of this are going to be say very, uh, like culture focused or semi consumable right. uh, focus. Right. right. But, uh, wearable wearables are cool. I am yeah. not going to deny that they're, they're cool. Um, there are quality wearables right. available right now. I personally don't see them being useful yet. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people like to, uh, especially the older generations like to accuse the younger generations of being on their phones all the time. <laughs> but uh, it, which which is to some degree true. Sure. And, you know, the, you think the, the first thing that I assume that these these oldies are thinking is, oh, they must be playing games or <laughs> uh, or uh, sending nudes or something like that. And uh, but the truth is, um yeah, and I've really learned this working from home for for the, during the pandemic. But uh, you know, I can probably get twenty to thirty percent of my daily workload done from my phone. Yeah, right. and I'm not talking about making calls. Sure, like, the, like responding to emails, looking things up, documenting stuff, warehousing articles, you know, etc. A lot of that can be done. I don't really need a uh, full on computer for that. Yeah, yeah. Until you get into like specialized software. Right. Then oh yeah. Like if oh, if I, if I have Autodesk Fusion 360 on my phone. Yeah. All it's good for is looking at models. That I have. <laughs> yeah. If I want to exist? change yeah. something, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we haven't progressed that far yet. No, not at all. Not at all. So that's why I'm a little skeptical. I, yeah. Wearables are cool. Right. And there are good ones out there. I don't think they're useful yet. The life cycle of electronics still annoys me quite a bit. So I've got a Pixel 2 XL phone. And it's on the fritz. Uh, so uh, I'm replacing it with the Pixel 5, I think. But yeah, if I have a smart watch, I mean, the, the watches I have will literally last me the rest of my life, which is great. I, you're you're going to love the Pixel 5 because of the battery alone. Yeah, I, I, want, I want more a longer life cycle out of my electronics, especially the consumer yeah. electronics. I mean, I've got a home stereo, home stereo system that will probably last me easily 12 years until like, you know, the, uh, it's a AV receiver. So until you, we change resolutions at the consumer level, it'll be fine up until then, which technically it allows 8k pass through. So I should be good for a couple of generations. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. It's crazy. If you talk to a lot of, um, audio files and they're a little biased, uh, but, uh, of course, but, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're really particular about spending hundreds of dollars on just cables, but forget that. Um, like if you talk to audiophiles, like, you know, you can find, it, it's almost like when you, when you talk to a musician, right. You know, as a musical instrument gets older, it gets better. Right. 
Right. Like, sure, you may have only bought like a hundred dollar, you know, Yamaha guitar or whatever. But if you bought that hundred dollar Yamaha guitar back in like 1960s, that thing's going to sound better than a $3,000 Gibson that was made yesterday right. because of the way it's aged and all of the, you know, the molecules are decaying and just like de-stressing and sure. whatnot. There's fancy insert, fancy science <laughs> words that are above my head right now. But like, um, but what's really cool, a lot of audiophiles will say, no, the older the electronics, the, the better, yeah, the more right. pure the sound you have, the, the more, the more you can feel the energy yeah. of the musician or whatever. And, and it's, it's like, and if they, they say that a lot, like right. you know, modern electronics, sure. They get better in some ways, but they will go down over the years. And I guess it's just, uh, they, they might go up eventually, but sure. you've got that depreciation first. Yeah. Hopefully you have the depreciation first. And it's not just depreciation. The, pl- the planned obsolescence for a lot of consumer electronics really annoys me. And I guess, yeah. you know, it cascades into manufacturing, right? It's, at some point yeah. you've got to update that hardware, but I'm just, I'm just so cheap. I want to spend my money on like RC cars and guns and stuff, right. not phones. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was just talking about audio. A phone yeah. will never get, it will never get better right. in value. No, no. Like the, like your Motorola brick from the nineties is not coming back. It should be mounted on the wall. That's the best place for something like that. It belongs in a museum. I am and the, I don't mean that. I don't mean that because it's worth money. It's not. <laughs> you need a place to hold uh, a graveyard just, just, for just, it. <laughs> just so kids can see where we came from. Absolutely. It doesn't have a screen. <laughs> All right, Steve. The last uh, article I've got is what should be expected from the industrial metrology in 2021. Now, metrology world, we are in May, so I appreciate the expectations being set halfway through the year. But it covers uh, computer, tomog- t- computer tomography, uh, CT, and kind of the growth and what's allowing it to be used more often now. So it's a fairly interesting look if we look break down why it's useful. So um, it gets into what, if you just did uh, tomog- CT, oh, the different techniques that it could replace, you know, it covers four different things, right? So obviously it could cover visual inspection, right? Just the surface but also it can uh, replace destructive testing. So if you want to see what's inside the part, right? If you have flaws, defects, uh, it'll allow you to check out the internals or just the internal surface features uh, if it is like a cast part or something. Um, also liquid penetrant testing, right? So doing uh, crack detection on the surface, um, it'll allow you to uh, check um, the surface for cracks, but also electromagnetic testing. So being able to check the uh, continuity of the part itself uh, on the subsurface. So this one technology could theoretically uh, replace all those depending on the specifications and what the customer requires. But what's allowing us to do it more often, one is just the processing capability. You know, uh, high-performance computing has come a long way being able to analyze, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of screenshots and uh, images to compile it into, you know, a single image, a single 3D model. The processing power has come such a long way, both on the CPU and GPU and storage, you know, in the past couple of years that mm-hmm. it's really accelerated the adoption of this. So being able to get from, I have a part in the CT scanner to I'm looking at a thing quickly has uh, definitely progressed quite a bit. Uh, so the the core of the article is that we definitely see computers getting or this uh, suite of technologies being adopted faster because of uh, being able to process the parts significantly faster 
Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. It's a very interesting. That is really cool. Uh, look at and I and I, f- I feel like you can even see the progress uh, that that technology has made today. Yeah. In that, like, I mean, I feel like you, you mentioned firearms earlier, so I can't help but think about when you're talking about this, um, how like you know, just a couple years ago you would get really excited if you're, if you were looking at like an AR 15s components right. and you saw, Oh, it says magnetic particle inspected. <laughs> this is the good stuff. And now like today, if it doesn't say that, man, you're buying a, a, a piece of yeah. junk. Yeah. Like it says that everywhere these days, I, like it's gotta be a really cheap company to skip on magnetic particle inspection. Definitely. So I, the general trend of uh, like hundred percent inspection, I'm definitely on board with. So like sampling and things like that, yeah, I could see the justification for it if you have data that provides why you get to a good sampling plan. Mm-hmm. But it's so much reassuring to know that, hey, we did this one. We did a quick check on this. We did a mag particle inspection. We did a quick dimensional check on 100%. You know, I feel like as a consumer or as an end user of certain products, someone telling me, yeah, I checked everything. It feels such, yeah. so so much reassuring that, uh, you know, the the math behind sampling plans for inspection is robust and has been around for a while, but I feel like as an end user, I feel so much more uh, confident in the hard- hardware. If someone yeah. said, "Hey, I checked everything," I mean, it, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to necessarily be like firearms. It can be any part. If yeah. like you see, if you see, like th- that's why back in the day there were hallmarks on pieces of on metal parts, right. metal tools, or whatever. Like if. If it was inspected and made with pride, a company would put a hallmark on it to say that they've approved this. This is the company's name. If there is a problem, come to us. You know, that that's a lot. It's not just pride of ownership, but it's pride of production. Yeah, definitely. And it and, allows for that. And I think the recent technology or recent advancements in metrology are allowing parts to be inspected faster and being able to inspect it in, in line with manufacturing processes. So the mm-hmm. whole trend of... Hey, I want, I want to inspect everything. Okay, it's not a huge burden. Let's do it. You know that conversation yeah. goes by quicker. So, yeah, it's nice seeing the inspection kept catching up with uh, the rest of the manufacturing. I mean, sure, it's in some ways it's always been there, but it hasn't been right. as accessible. Right, right. Great. Uh, this cool. is a great episode, Steve. Where can they find more info about us? AMTOnline.org/resources. Go ahead and subscribe if you're liking what you're hearing. Awesome, Steve. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.